What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. This is Stick to Football Bleacher Reports NFL Draft Podcast. I'm Matt Miller, lead draft writer at BR, and joining me every Wednesday, my main man, Connor Rogers. What's up, buddy? What's going on, buddy? We got a pretty good show today because we are going to get to talk to the new main man of the Senior Bowl. Jim Nagy is coming on, and we got a lot to ask him of what's going on down in Mobile. The era after uh, Phil Savage is finally going to begin a lot of other stuff going on around the league. You know, obviously some light injuries, some holdouts from minicamp. Zach Martin finally gets that new mega deal. And we do got some workout dates for the supplemental draft, which finally actually has some good talent. Right, Matt? Finally does. Thank God, because we've needed it. But you I mean, right, it's been man. awful in the past years. Yeah. Jim Nagy, I'm so excited to talk to you. This is when our buddy Adam Heisler hooked us up with this. You know, they're both mobile guys. I got in our rundown and put in like 10 questions right away because we've said for years, the senior bowl is our favorite event on the draft calendar. And so it's, I want to talk to him about the game, about maybe getting underclassmen in. I want to talk to him about good drinking spots that we don't know about because, uh, and then I want to talk about Veets for sure. So there's, there's a lot of senior bowl and mobile stuff we can get into with Nagy, but do let's start like we do every Wednesday. Let's go around the league and as we were setting up today, you asked me, you were like, hey, you still watching The Bachelor? And it's The Bachelorette. I don't want to correct you, but it's, it's The Bachelorette. <laughs> I had to know. And I, I am. So and what is, it, it looked like they played football this week. They and I asked some... you, what is going on? Just First off, why do you watch it? That's sort of one thing I need to know. <laughs> and I'm not judging you. I'm genuinely <laughs> you curious. I'm genuinely curious. Okay, so this is what Melo and I sit down every Monday night and watch it. And the reason that this started was because in our friend group, there's one girl, Amy, and we we love her, but we drag her to do all this guy stuff. You know, we're going to we're going to games, we're going to you know to to breweries. We're finally like, damn, this isn't very fair. What do you want to do? Like, what can we what can we do for you? And that's what she wanted was us to watch The Bachelor last year, and we all got hooked. So now it's like a Monday night tradition where we got to sit down and. Um, I even did a meat and cheese night and got like nice wine oh, and like so you tried perp- to. You get like into this. Oh, I get really into it. It's like I throw a party every Monday night, so it's great. But, yeah, I, they played some football on, on Monday night, and they actually played tackle football, which surprised me. But they did it with hockey helmets on and shoulder pads. What, what so was, was like the point of that? Weird crossover. It's just, like, so gimmicky, right? So there are a couple football players on the show. Okay. Clay Harbor, uh, Colton Underwood, who had, like, a minute uh, as a quarterback, I think, with the Chargers. Uh, so there's like there are some football ties to it. The girls from Minnesota where they just had the Super Bowl. So they're like, yeah, let's play some four on four tackle football with a f- real life NFL player on one of the teams, by the way, Clay Harbor, who has, you know, he's been around the league for a long time, uh, kind of as a, a role player and, and bounced around. But man, like imagine you're in good shape. You work out. Imagine trying to play tackle football against no a real life NFL. Player. Did he light anyone up? So I felt like he did take it easy. Here's what's funny. And it's kind of, okay, it's not just funny. It's kind of sad, I guess. But so he gets hurt. It's like the games, you know, he had, they have to score to tie the game. And it's this big moment, right? And he gets tackled as he just truck sticks people into the end zone. But then he gets hurt, right? So he's laying on the turf and she runs over and is so distraught. This is made for TV. It's so made for nonsense. TV. It's nonsense. They bring a fucking ambulance out, dude. He broke his wrist. Yeah, probably like a hairline fracture. They brought an ambulance for a wrist injury. That is. So it's like how every way you can jump the shark, they did it. But they did play some football. So I was thinking about like tweeting out scouting reports during the game. Maybe we can get you on there next year. Two years. You know, my friends all say that, and I I don't think so. Right. A, I think my girlfriend would kill me. Uh, and then B, <laughs> I don't think I could handle that. Uh, it'd be tough. But right. there's a guy from Pro Football Focus on, so yeah, Mike we'll is get on you there. on there. Uh, get, I don't of know. The then two I, of us, then I'd have to leave you during the spring, and that would not be good for the, the for the brand. It would not be. That's true. Maybe. Yeah. So you well. said they wore hockey helmets. Something we wanted to talk about with is what's going on with the Stanley Cup right now. Alex Ovechkin and the entire Capitals team is throwing an absolute party, and this is unlike any sport where like the Super Bowl trophy doesn't go on this. You know, when team wins the World Series, it doesn't happen like this. What and you raised a great question on Twitter that got a lot of responses. What would you do with the Stanley Cup? Say you had one week with the cup, or even one night out with the Stanley Cup. What would you do with it? I would do exactly what Ovi's been doing. It's just drinking out of it. Yes, which the champagne fill was unbelievable. Like, let's talk about our brand here. The dude's doing keg stands out of the Stanley Cup. 
He I has, looked it up. Yeah. It holds 23 and a half <laughs> beer cans. What? Is how many cans of beer you can put in the Stanley Cup. So how big was that bottle of champagne he ordered? Enormous. That Enormous. Is, I said I would fill it with Four loco and go out and just let everybody drink out of it. So you're caffeinated. And you you're getting it. some form of herpes by just cold sores yeah, on cold that's sores. that's pretty gross. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it'd be pretty sweet. So, But you're right. There's not like the Super Bowl trophy. I, I think it's a cool looking trophy. It's beautiful. But they don't embrace the... The uh, you know the rager that hockey does. Yeah, hockey is just so far out there. With I think that's this week's iTunes review, though. That's what would you do? ITunes. Yeah, what would yeah. you do with the Stanley Cup if you had one night with the Stanley Cup? So we are going to talk about some football. Speaking of iTunes reviews, we are going to read last week. We got a ton on the most heartbreaking sports moment of all your fanhoods. We're going to read through those. But there's you know mini camp and coming off OTAs and you know rookies reporting. Some minor things here, but this guy, the Saints hope he has a big impact for them. That's why they gave up an extra first to go get him. A Marcus Davenport, minor thumb injury, expected to be about, you know, a three-week recovery. Does this kind of stuff concern you at all, Matt? Or is this just where he's getting the surgery after the mini camp? Timing right, he'll be good to go for training camp. This won't be a setback. Man, I was actually going to say, it's one of those things like, okay, he's he's going to be back. He'll be fine. But it just scares me because... You have a, a raw, underdeveloped guy who needs so many reps. Like, that's the only cure for him you know, being such a green player is he needs to get on the field and learn things and get up to speed and gain strength on that kind of lean, long frame that he has. So I, I don't, you know, it's not like you're worried he's going to lose his rookie season or anything, but I, I think it's more concern of, okay, what is this going to do in terms of mental and physical setbacks? Is he going to be as ready to go? Because like you said, man, they traded up. They traded a, a future first to get this guy, and they feel like they have a Super Bowl window still with Drew Brees and how well that defense played last year. Two very good running backs, even with Mark Ingram suspended. A good O-line. You got Mike Thomas at, at wide receiver. They needed him to come in and be an 8-10 to 10 sack guy. I think now it's just a matter of can he make up this lost time? Yeah, I think the thought process when being so aggressive to add him was that he's the missing piece, that this was a team that was literally a play away from, you never know, it could have been a championship season. They were that talented. So adding this piece, you hope that everything comes up to speed. A couple other key pieces that will actually be missing, not due to health injuries now across the league. Can you call them holdouts when they don't go to minicamp? Because they are missing money. It's mandatory. It's mandatory. So I think I would call it a holdout. And I think that's also just like the common language we're used to, right? It used to be back when rookies didn't just immediately sign their contracts. You know, we had guys going into August not signed. So I I think holdout is the best way to say it. I mean, boycotting, don't call it a protest because then no, (laughs) then we're going to have to deal with with all that. But there are big names here. I mean, we're talking about Earl Thomas, Julio Jones. Right, David Johnson. Now, with David, was just on the show. We with, should ask him about with, it. Yeah, with David Johnson, though, I think they're going to find a way to get the deal done, and then he can get the money back. It sounds like the Cardinals, on the other hand, are like, "No, we want to get this done now before he plays a contract on his final year." With the other guys, I don't have the same kind of faith. The Earl Thomas situation has been going on for what eight months now. It sounds like. I mean, we heard the Cowboys trade yeah. rumors. You look at Khalil Mack. I mean. The Raiders have no interest in moving him. I know the rest of the league would definitely love to acquire a player like him, but are they willing to pay him long-term? You should be, but we've just heard nothing on that front. Julio Jones is another one where you're sitting there and you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, he's not going to minicamp now. After not being around the team during the spring, he clearly wants top wide receiver dollar in the NFL, and are the Falcons willing to give that? Matt Ryan is making a ton of money right now. But guess what? Julio Jones is the guy that make Matt that makes Matt Ryan look really good often. So you probably have to figure that one out, even if it's like a two year band aid kind of deal. What's amazing is like Sammy Watkins makes more than Julio Jones. Allen Robinson makes more than Julio Jones. And I know that it's always the you know, we've said it before. It's next man up. Whoever comes, you know, free gets paid. But then you have to correct for the market. And I think that's where we're at with Julio Jones. You mentioned with Earl Thomas. excuse me, what's interesting about his situation, if you'll remember late in the season, the Seahawks go down to Dallas and play a game, and Earl Thomas does something I've never heard of before, ever. I've been doing this for, we were just talking about this, I've been doing this for seven years, I've never heard of this. Right after the game, still padded up, he runs into the Cowboys locker room, not to fight, but to tell Jason Garrett and the Cowboys, if I'm available, come get me. I want to be here, come get me. It's unheard of. Guess what? He might be... He's probably available right now as they remake that roster. So I think he's the one to watch that could he get moved? 
Khalil Mack, I don't know what the hell the Raiders are doing. I don't know how you can look at that guy, who in my opinion is the best edge rusher in football, and say, ah, let's string you along. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to play tag with him like they did with Kirk Cousins and then eventually lose him for nothing. I think at some point you have to just you bite the bullet and say, and unfortunately, I don't know if in Oakland they have someone who's smart enough with the cap to be creative and flexible and, and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. But the, I think you have to. He's, he, it's like he and Aaron Donald are the two guys right now that it just blows my mind that it doesn't seem like any progress is being made to get those deals done. Yeah, I completely agree. When you look at Mac, he just turned 27 this offseason. Like, what's your concern there? The guy is entering his prime as a pass rusher. Where And the Raiders are an interesting team because projected into the next year, things are going to open up a little bit for them with the cap next year. Where they, I think they could actually get this one done, not necessarily right now. You'd have to move some money around right now. But after the year, you should be feeling good about it. But that's a guy that you 1,000% need a camp. Now, a guy that is happy sitting on his pile of money, Zach Martin gets what is probably the biggest uh, deal for an interior offensive lineman across the league right now. I mean, a ton of guaranteed money. We know it's a long-term deal. Most importantly, this gives the Cowboys the next two years with that really, really good starting offensive line, maybe longer if you continue to you know keep that core together there. And you pose the question in the rundown, how long can the Cowboys keep this window open? Listen, It's crazy, but it really comes down to, obviously, defense continuing to get better. But what Dak Prescott are we going to get? I know this offensive line is one of the best in the league, top two easily. And I know Ezekiel Elliott, a full season of him, is going to be a lot of fun. No Des Bryant anymore. You got Alan Hearns in there. It's fine. The defense is getting better. Like I said, what Dak Prescott are we going to get? And now with this move, locking up the offensive line, you'd like to bet that it's the guy that played like a top 15 quarterback recently. Yeah, and I might be one of those weird people that actually, I feel like I'm on Team Dak because I look at what he did his rookie year and then what he did when Zeke was in the lineup last year. And he did it with Des Bryant kind of being a head case and dropping a lot of balls and not being able to separate. So I still I still believe that Dak Prescott can be a franchise quarterback. I think Dak Prescott could win you a Super Bowl if you give him enough pieces. And I think we'll find out this year if that's the case. But like I asked in the rundown, what what is the window here? I don't believe that Zeke Elliott ever gets re-signed there. Maybe he gets franchised once, and then they let him walk. I don't think Demarcus Lawrence is back after this year. So build your strength, and that's the offensive line. You have a great running back who you can just run into the dirt like a rental car and then let him go. You have a quarterback who's not going to turn the ball over, and if they've drafted well on defense, they probably can string something together here. But I'm with you. I think that run is about two years before we get to the end of Zeke Elliott. And we start to get to the end of Tyron Smith, probably. And they have to start you know, finding some guys who can you know, get to the quarterback on defense. So if they don't hit a home run in the draft, it, then it, it's probably even shorter than that. But you also have to deal with the Eagles, man, who are that loaded. roster looks just almost loaded. unbeatable. But I'm happy for Zach Martin. Like you said, he's he's probably going to get, what, 15 million a year. I think Andrew Norwell is getting like 13 three. So. Good. I mean, good for him. And I, I love that the Cowboys are committed to keeping this line together that, you know, they re-up Lyle Collins. They they are finding ways to get it done and they draft Connor Williams. So I think they a lot of teams sometimes struggle to find their identity and just say, yeah, screw it. Let's just this is who we are. Let's build it. And the Cowboys have been doing it year in, year out. Yeah, and I think they've just done a really good job with that. So, And Zach Martin, when people pose the question, if you were building out a roster and you had to start, you had to pick one interior offensive lineman that you would really build your roster with, the answer to me is Zach Martin. And I don't really see much of the debate. So I think this contract is well-earned. All right, looking at some guys that have decided to make the jump to the league now, last minute, also known as the NFL Supplemental Draft. I believe there's no definite date. It'll be sometime in July. But so I heard July 9 or 11 this okay, morning. Okay, right around so there. we're getting there. We're yeah, getting we're getting there. So, all right, quick rundown for people that don't fully understand how the supplemental draft works because we do get that question all the time. Basically, teams are in groupings based on how they finished last year, and then they could submit bids of picks. So, say... Like, like a lottery. The, yeah, so, like, say the Browns submitted a three for a player in the draft and New England submitted a three. The Browns are going to get the player coming out of that pick with their three. Now you lose your three for 2019 the following year, the three big names that have applied. And I think almost are all are pretty much official here. I know Adonis is Adonis Alexander, the gigantic corner out of Virginia tech, Sam Beal, another long corner, the probably the best player we've seen in the supplemental draft since Josh Gordon. I've heard 
it would not be surprising to see a team use a two on him. Multiple teams are expected to use a three on him. And then the safety, Brandon Bryant. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And and the big name here is Sam Beal, who is officially in as far as I've been told. And it's like a an academic issue with these guys. It's not off field. Uh, and, and one thing that, that we should mention with the supplemental draft is for college guys who lose their eligibility between the January 15th normal underclassmen deadline and now. And so if you've got a, a guy like Beal, who what I've been told is he almost entered the draft, didn't. And kind of that hesitation threw him off for this semester. So he's not going to be eligible to play. So he petitions uh, to get in the supplemental draft. But Western Michigan guy, I had a top 50 grade on for next year. And like you, I've heard it's probably second or third round. And third is probably like a safe spot. If I had to bet on this, I would I would say third round is where it's going to be. Because even as good as he is, and as good as Adonis Alexander is huge. Like true to form with that name. The guy is a, a statue. Yeah, six foot three corner. But you're still, I mean, we could look historically, the Browns gave up a two for Josh Gordon, and you could talk all day about his talent, but you haven't actually seen much return on investment there. So I think we'll see teams be a little bit cautious, but it does sound like about a month from now, we're going to get that supplemental draft. And these workouts are, are going to be busy. I have I've was trying to get a hold of, of some teams to talk about Sam Beal, and they were like, man, we haven't even been able to schedule time with him because he's so popular right now. Uh, apparently, it's every team wants to meet with this guy work him out, talk to him. I think that pro day, that June 20th pro day at Western Michigan is going to be loaded. There's going to be so many people there because he he's viewed as a guy who could come in and be a starter, even though you're getting him this late in the process. Yeah, if he had declared, he would have been a top 75 pick in this year's draft. And that's in a good corner group. Very. So when yeah. you're looking at teams that are sitting there looking at their depth chart right now, and they're thinking, man, we need one more physical long press corner for the outside that could put us over the edge. We might take that flyer with an early three. Or with a late two. So I think it, you, when you look at Sam Beal, he's he's going to be the fun name to watch. Uh, one thing we did also want to get to off the top of the show here was you guys were awesome about sending in your worst sports moments. I wanted to read through a couple of those that were really I just fun. got depressed reading them. It, it was kind of sad, and one was relatable. The first one we got, Matt, you're probably sitting here laughing at this one, from Travis Thompson. He goes, my worst sports moment was watching the Royals clinch the World Series against the Mets while I'm at my friend's house whose family are Yankee fans. That's just for any Mets fan. That's like the ultimate nightmare. Scenario. My favorite one was this. Uh, this dude, Elijah Bird, said, "My favorite team is the Atlanta Falcons." And I was at the Super Bowl against the Patriots. Oh, no. I proposed to my now wife with signs that said, "The Falcons aren't the only ones getting a ring today." You know the rest of the oh, story. Oh my god! Oh dude. man! Imagine your, you know. Uh, engagement anniversary being on when your team blew a 28 to three lead in the Super Bowl. I mean, it's, I think the engagement's a little more important than that, but it's still for some people it's close. (laughs) It's it's pretty, the marriage goes better than the second half of that game did buddy. (laughs) Uh, Another one I liked that was draft related was worst draft moment from M Sturgill two on iTunes as a Colts fan watching the 2015 NFL draft. I had my heart set on Landon Collins because of our need at safety. And when I heard Philip Dorsett come out of Goodell's mouth, that was the day my hatred for Ryan Gregson began. <laughs> he was right. I mean, yeah. good Lord. There is. Oh, here's a good one, too. I wanted to mention this because I'm everyone knows I'm a Niners fan, but I, I'm a, the world's like biggest Tom Brady fan. And going back to my mom being from Michigan and all my uncles were Michigan fans. So I loved Tom Brady even back in college. And uh, Burt Bangers left one that said, diehard Pats fan, there's nothing worse than watching the Giants break up a perfect season in 07. And I actually agree. Like, I was upset when the Patriots lost that game because I wanted to see history. Like, I wanted to see an undefeated season. And I know, Connor, you completely disagree because you're a Jets oh, fan. It's the only time in my life, well, one of two, that I've actually really rooted for the Giants. Because, like, if you're a Jets fan, you do not root for the New York Giants. But that was one of those times where it was like I, I was yelling when Plaxico caught the touchdown because I was like, I can't live with this. The Patriots having all those Super Bowls is one thing, but <laughs> that kind of season that, and also I was what I was a freshman in high school that year. So, Oh my like, God, you're so young. Yeah, I know. Well, dude, coming up four years at Bleacher Report, not that young anymore. We were just talking about this. Can't um, wait to throw that anniversary party. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's happening. All right. Um, <laughs> one more. 
this isn't that bad because I think things worked out, but it's still funny. I'm this one from Alex Luna. I'm a diehard Cubs fan. So 2016 was a big deal for me. Game seven starts. I'm in my recliner with my grandpa's old Cubs shirt. I'm in this position for the entire game. And then in the eighth inning, Rajay Davis hits the most heartbreaking home run. When that happened, my heart stopped. I swear to God, fuck Rajay Davis. <laughs> That's that stuff's so true, man. If like watching the the Royals uh, when they beat your Mets in the World Series, remember when they beat your Mets in the World Series? Oh, so yep. My brothers it. and I were we, I mean, we were in three different houses watching this game and it got to this moment where like you're so superstitious that it's like whatever's working, you have to keep doing it. And Mello actually stopped texting us in our group chat for about two hours because he had stopped for a minute and the Royals took the lead. So he was like, I can't text you back. No. So yeah, you can't I'm with Alex. That. that stuff's real. You can't mess with that. I love it. All right, everybody, as promised, and I told you at the top of the show, I'm super excited for our guest today, Jim Nagy, the new head of the Senior Bowl. Jim, congratulations, man, and thanks for making time for us. No, thank you guys for having me on. So, Jim, you're obviously filling some pretty big shoes. I'm sure you've heard it 8,000 times with the departure of Phil Savage. So what is the future of the Senior Bowl? Is this something where you're coming in and just want to hear things out and keep it moving, or is there going to be kind of any interesting changes that you want to look into for the short-term and long-term future? I mean, really, I, I see this job as kind of a, a two-fold event. I mean, obviously, uh, in my role, my new role that Phil had, we're a steward of the NFL, so I have to make sure the football component stays strong. Uh, Phil did a lot of good things on that front. I think the NFL is very happy with, with the game. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be going to be keeping a lot of things status quo. I mean, why, why mess up a good thing? So, uh, and then the other part is the community component of it, which we have to be mindful of down here in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, there's a lot of things that I want to – I have a lot of ideas in the community, but, you know, nationally in terms of, you know, your listeners and everything wouldn't be as interested in. But locally, we, there's a lot of things we want to do out in the community. Yeah, and, and Connor and I have said – I even said today at the top of the show, the Senior Bowl is my favorite event. I've been, I've been going down for eight years now. And you're from there, being a mobile guy. How important is that game and that week to the city? I mean, it, it seems like they roll out the red carpet for us when we're down there. So you're there year round. How big is that? Not just the game on Saturday, but that whole week, getting everybody, everybody from the NFL, all the media into town. Yeah, it's a it's a huge event. Uh, this was my 20th Senior Bowl this past year. Um, so I've been coming down here. And I've been, li- been living here for the last 11 years. So. Uh, yeah, it's a huge event. It, it, it's a huge impact on the economy down here. The last time we did a study, um, it brought in almost $30 million to the local economy. So um, it, it's got a big impact that way. And, it, you know, the game's been being played here since 1951. So it is a game that the locals take a lot of pride in. I've always felt what separates it from a scouting perspective going into other cities and all-star games. The thing that separates our game is, is how much pride the locals do take. You really do feel that kind of that hometown uh you know, just that, that, that small town feel, that hometown, they roll out the red carpet, like you said. Um, it's just different than some of the other games. So, yeah, absolutely. We take a lot of pride down here and put on the senior bowl. Well, for the Night Owls, I think we got to ask this. Out of that $30 million, <laughs> how much money is Veets pulling in when, when we're not in town? Because I feel like when we're there, everybody that works within the NFL or the NFL media is at Veets. And we always wonder, is anyone else here the rest of the year? Yeah, there's... <laughs> There's a little binge drinking that goes on during Senior Bowl <laughs> week. Uh, that's been the greatest, honestly, the greatest thing about living living down here the last 11 years is that I have an easy out of beats. I don't have to. Uh, <laughs> Good for you. Get, I, don't, I don't have to get caught up down there. I have a I have a family to go home to. So, uh, but no, it's funny. Once I got the job, I mean, obviously people reach out and congratulate you. Um, and the the two biggest requests were front row seats at the uh, weigh-in. And uh, some sort of VIP section at Beats. So <laughs> not a bad. Idea. If we could just get them to so open it back we're, up, we're working. On, we're working on that for those guys. Yeah, it used to be so much bigger. Now it's just that hallway. You know, we need we need both sides open back up. Uh, we we do talk a lot about Mobile and and have encouraged a lot of our listeners who want to get into the media side or the pro side of scouting to make the drive down there. You know, I, I know several guys who got their their break in this industry, whether it's on our side or your side just from you going down there because it's a big job fair. So as an insider, where's that one like go-to restaurant that none of us know about? Like everybody knows about Wenzel's. What's your hidden gem for mobile restaurants? 
Well, you know, the causeway that on Mobile Bay that crosses from Baldwin County and Mobile Counties down here, there's a lot of great seafood at all those places, the Bluegill, uh, the Oyster House, Ed's, all those places are really good. If you uh, you want to tuck away a little bar that's not down here downtown on the uh, Dolphin Street Strip, kind of away from the action, there's a place called Callahan's that has the best burger in town. Um, some scouts have found it over the years, and they kind of like it because not many people have found it, but it's a great little Irish bar. And it's uh, on your way from, from Lad People Stadium back downtown towards the hotel, so uh, it's a nice little place to stop off. I think we got to write these in our notes yeah, yeah. right now for next year. So, uh, Jim, I was watching an interesting interview that you did, you know, right after you got the gig, and I heard you say on WKRG that you'd look into including draft-eligible players. Now, every single year since I've been doing this, I'm sure for Matt, or just in general, the underclassmen that enter the draft seems to increase year after year. Do you think we'll ever see an underclassman bowl or some kind of expansion for high-profile underclassmen for the senior bowl? I would never say never on that. But again, I want to be mindful of, of the NFL's relationship um, with colleges. Um, and I think that's, that's where you have to be careful with it. I mean, I think the initiative a few years ago to let the, dra- the players that have the juniors that have graduated college uh, allowed into the all-star game here was a big move. Uh, I think you would, where you'd have to be careful is, uh, you know, using the all-star games is if, if every junior knew that no matter what his, you know, graduate graduation status was that he could come down here and play in a game. Um, it almost might entice them to come out. And that's not, that's not what the NFL is looking to do. Um, you know, just working on the NFL side the last 18 years, you know, scouts and, and front office people were really mindful of that relationship. So it would we would never be we would never want it to be a harm to colleges first and foremost if they felt that threat um, we would back off but at the same time we do have a problem right now with too many juniors coming out and not getting drafted you know I want to say there was over 40 juniors that came out this year that did not even get drafted yep so there so there's an issue there um, and I think a lot of it comes down to these kids aren't being properly evaluated um, or they're not they're either not being properly evaluated because the teams don't have enough information on them and they, they, they don't, you know, they don't have the whole book um, on the kids or they're just being fed bad information. And that's usually not from the team side. The team side usually errs on the side of caution with the prospects um, rather than pump up their value. If, if anything, they push it down a little bit um, to, to not encourage kids to come out early. It's usually more from families and agents, but uh but no, so there's something has to be done on that front. But yeah, it would be if we could have all the draft eligibles. Obviously, for our game, we would we would have a higher level of talent every year. Um, but that that's probably a ways down the road. On, on that note, Jim, do you see any any way? And maybe this is part of that process of kind of petitioning the NFL to say, "Hey, we've got 150 juniors declaring. Why don't we try to to give them the best chance to improve their stock from that January 15th deadline, where something like the senior bowl would maybe help some of these guys or or at least get them a couple more opportunities. I I mean, I know the rule is out there of, you know, you don't want contact with, you know, guys who are underclassmen eligible, but it seems like that's kind of an outdated rule with so many guys every year making that declaration. Yeah. You know, you, you think about what the NBA does, where if a player doesn't sign with an agent, they can always go back. Yeah. Um, The problem, I feel like the problem with the NFL thing is that, just with the time frame between bowl games and then the agents getting involved, it, it, it's it's really a sticky issue. I mean, I think everyone's cognizant of it. I think the colleges are. I think the NFL is. You know, there was a movement a couple of years ago, and it's you know it's kind of baffled me a little bit that more colleges haven't taken advantage of it. But um, there was an initiative really really spearheaded by Coach Saban. I think uh, Dabo at Clemson, some other coaches were involved where they were when you went to the pro days as a scout. Um, started two years ago, each, each school could give you, uh, I think it was either up to five or six um, rising juniors that you could, you know, weigh and measure and run if you would want to. Um, you know, there was supposed to be medical information provided. There was supposed to be, um, the players were supposed to be made available for us to interview. So we could, so then we were aware of any, any red flags, whether they be medical character, which really force a lot of players and a lot of early out juniors to drop. That's why a lot of these guys don't get drafted is because there is a, 
or as a flag issue. Um, but really, Coach Saban took advantage of it. He's been giving out rising uh, juniors, you know, current sophomores the last couple of years. And like going into last year's draft, I had 40 times on my watch from Kelvin Ridley and Deron Payne and, um, and those and Minka Fitzpatrick. So I, it, it was really helpful in the process because I, I knew what they were going to run. We, we had, you know, accurate arm length and, and measurements on them. So it was really helpful. But there, there has not been enough coaches really get on board with that. And I think it's because they're fearful if they put their players out there, you know, then it's like they're offering them up for the taking. And uh, it's too bad that some see it that way because I don't think that's what it be. That's what it's looked at from the NFL perspective. Um, so the, I guess, long story short, there has been some strides made in that area, but it's, it's clearly not good enough yet. So we've talked so much about Mobile and the Senior Bowl and obviously your new role. But I think a lot of people that haven't worked in the NFL want to know about you. And you have almost two decades of experience scouting in the NFL, most recently with the Seahawks. What was your road to get into the NFL scouting world? Yeah, it's, it's a long story. <laughs> no, I don't want to <laughs> it always is, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I went, to, I went to college at Michigan. Um, you know, I worked with the football team my last two years there. Uh, my only opportunities out of high school to play were smaller school uh, football. And when I got into Michigan, it was kind of my dream school. So I decided to go that route. And then when I was leaving college, this was, this was before the internet. So <laughs> there wasn't really a, a place to go find out like how to become an NFL scout. So all I did was um, send resumes and cover letters out to all the NFL teams. And at the time there weren't even scouting internships. There were no scouting assistant positions. Um, if you were going to get your foot in the door, it was through the, through the PR realm. So I actually got a PR internship, which is, I know I saw a lot of people got their foot in. Brian Billick was a PR intern. Uh, Eric Mangini was a PR intern. Uh, Trent Kirshner, who I just got done working with in Seattle, was a PR intern. So a lot of people had to go that route back then. And what happened was, so I got no responses from any team. I was walking out, uh, walking out the door to college graduation, and my phone rang, and I went back inside, and it was the Green Bay Packers, and they offered me a a PR internship. So, um, you know, just like any job, you get your foot in the door, you, you, you work hard and you kick it in and you hopefully get lucky and meet the right people. And at that time in green Bay on that staff, you know, John Schneider was a pro pro personnel assistant. Reggie McKenzie was a pro personnel assistant. They shared an office together. John Dorsey was on that staff. Scott McLuhan was on that staff. So really, you know, a lot of guys that went on to do some great things. That's an and, amazing staff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, every free minute I had away from PR, I was up there badgering those guys and bothering them and, you know, asking them to let me watch tape with them and learn, learn from them. So it was, uh, so that was, that was that year. And then uh, nothing, nothing full-time materialized for me. So I actually moved to New York City and hooked on with an agency for a few years. And, uh, you know, one of the agents that, that worked in our group, the main recruiter was a guy that was a scout. They pulled him out of they pulled him out of scouting. He'd scouted for ten years. His name was Gary Horton. He was a former college coach. And you know, like a lot of agencies, they have a, a football guy to kind of help them recruit and sell the football side of things. And Gary was that guy for our group. And he actually had started out, um, kind of started his own scouting private scouting business called the War Room at the time. And uh, the two guys that he had working with them were me and, and a guy named Todd McShay. So, uh, so we did that. I did that for about four years working on the agent side and then doing the war room thing part-time. And we were getting all our tape from Denny Green, who was the coach of the Vikings, who was Gary's good friend and he coached with. So that was kind of my introduction to, to you know, to scouting, uh, to scouting players, was working with Gary. And then when John Schneider got his first job in ability to hire staff in Washington, uh, with Marty Schottenheimer in 2001, he he gave me my first shot as a scout. So I uh, got a got a job scout in the West Coast, moved to Phoenix, and uh, kind of started from there. So that's a long story, but that's kind of how I got into it. And uh, you know, unfortunately, right at, right after I took that Washington job, uh, Gary and Todd sold that war room business to ESPN, which turned into Scouts Inc. for uh, a lot of money. So I wasn't able, <laughs> I wasn't a part of that. <laughs> But it was uh, it was a great opportunity, and all I ever wanted to do was was to scout. So there was there was no uh, there was no second guess, and there's no going back. I was I was full speed ahead. 
That's an amazing story. It's that's so true for I think a lot of people that do make it is it's a, a grind and it takes it, it takes volunteering to be a PR intern and doing a lot of different jobs. So I think that's really beneficial for like Connor said, we have a ton of people who ask us, how do I get in? And and it's maybe a little different for everyone, but but kind of the same of just gotta work your ass off and and be willing to do a lot of different jobs. Uh you mentioned that it, you know, it's usually a team. And one of the last questions we want to ask you is well, we all know people who've been involved with the senior bowl scouting process in years past. Is that something you anticipate will continue to have? You know, obviously you have a scouting background. You've been, you've been doing it a long time. Uh, will you continue to kind of have, you know, those guys who are helping you out, getting out to games and, and evaluating the best players in the country? You know, that's, that's kind of something that's under review right now. I'm, I'm you know, it's been on the job less than two weeks. So I'm really kind of trying to evaluate a lot of different areas of our operation but there have been a lot of scouts, um, some guys that are between jobs right now that have reached out and, and uh, you know, shown interest in doing that. So that's something I'm thinking about. But uh, we do have a couple interns in the office right now that have, uh, have training camp internships with clubs. And when they come back in August, they're going to be going full bore with me. And uh, so it's definitely something I'm open to, but I haven't decided that yet. Well, getting this chance to talk to you, I got to put you on the spot. And I know it's early. It's June. But do you have a favorite or a top senior in the country before this college football season starts right now? You know, I'm I'm pretty southeast centric right now because that's the, the area I've been scouting in the yep. last five years. So I I know these guys down here a lot better than I know um, you know some of the different parts of the country, and that's going to be the challenge for me going forward is is uh, you know learning the rest of the country. But the great thing is I just got with Exos this week, who's you know, a big, a big video provider for the NFL, DV Sport, and Exos, and um, they're they're a partner of ours, and they're they're outfitting our offices with all the tape we need. So, looking forward to that and get my get my hands dirty on that stuff. But um, in terms of this year's class, you know, in my role right now at the game, I'm really focused on the quarterbacks. I'm going to the Manning Passing Academy next week, which I'm super jacked up about. Um, you know, if you work for an NFL team, you're you can't go there. So this is going to be my first chance to get over there. And Archie, uh, Archie was nice enough to invite me. So just to get, get a look at these quarterbacks firsthand, I've, I've seen Jarrett Stidham play, uh, some play three times last fall. And then guys like Drew Locke and, um, you know, the Finley kid at North Carolina State. I mean, there's a number of them. I just got the list. I just had the list in front of me. But I'm really, I'm really looking forward to watching this quarterback class. And, if you know, Jarrett Stidham has graduated already. I've already looked into that because if we could get an Auburn or, or Alabama player uh, of his caliber down here in the game next year, that'd be great. And especially at the quarterback position, it's been a long time since, since there's been an Auburn or an Alabama quarterback of any stature uh, come down to the game. I think Brody Croyle is probably the last guy, wow. uh, maybe Jason Campbell from Auburn. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing those guys, Stidham and Locke and in that group. Well, that's awesome. And, and Jim, we're looking forward to, you know, seeing what you do with the senior bowl. We're excited to see the great tradition that is the senior bowl continue in not only the NFL world, but also our media world. And we just want to say thanks a ton, you know, for giving us some time today and we're, we wish you the best of luck. We really can't wait to see what you do with this event. No, I appreciate it guys. When you get down here, let's, uh, let me know when you get down and we'll, and we'll head over to Callahan's or something. Oh, we most definitely That's, will. You don't got to worry about that. He, he already knows <laughs> us. Right. This is great. Thanks, Jim. All right. You got it, guys. All right. A gigantic thank you to Jim Nagy, the new director of the Senior Bowl. Awesome for him to spend some time with me and Matt to talk about what's going to happen with the Senior Bowl down the road. You know, not rock the boat maybe too much, but a lot of interesting stuff, especially when that direction changes at such a big event in our world. So, of course, like every other week, we're going to answer your draft on draft questions, starting it off with an iTunes question from G Sudol 21. He says, are y'all a fan of the modern day workhorse running back or would you rather stick with a system style approach? He said uh, all draft season, he was listening to draft experts look for a player comparison for Saquon Barkley. Never once did he hear him. Anyone mention Joe Mixon. That was his comp for Barkley. Well, I really like that. I it, I think the problem is people hear Joe Mixon and they automatically think, ooh, that dude knocked out a girl. He said that in the review, too. I had to condense yeah. it. He was like, is that a reason people stayed away from it? And yeah. I think that's fair. And I can tell you, like, I mean, just peeking behind the curtain here, there are times where editorially I'll love a comparison for a player. Uh, you know, like uh, Jair Alexander to Pac-Man Jones was one I really liked. And it was like we had to have a conversation uh, on the content side of, but if I say Pac-Man Jones, people are automatically, they think off-field. 
And so it's like you can't compare for obvious reasons. You can't compare an athletic tight end to Aaron Hernandez. And even though with Joe Mixon, it's much less serious than that. It's still serious and it's still a, a negative on his scouting report that people have a hard time not thinking of. So I, I do think that's why, even though they're both stylistically very similar, they're both big backs who can catch, have speed. It's just when you think Saquon Barkley, you think Boy Scout. When you think Joe Mixon, you think of that awful video that we all watched. So yeah. I, that would be why. Um, to his to his question of are we a fan of the modern day workhorse running back? I think without a doubt, it's just that they've become unicorns because of how the league has really changed involving running backs in the passing game so much. When you count them, guys that are really on the field for three downs that are excellent runners, excellent pass protectors, yeah. and you know viable pass catchers, it's David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell. I think Saquon can be that guy, but we can't say it until we see it. I think Zeke is that guy, and I would argue Fournette is probably going to yeah, be that even, guy long term. Even like oh, and Fournette and, and Todd Gurley, Fournette I have Gurley, to say Todd Gurley. Right. Fernand Gurley gets spelled a decent amount. Yeah. And I think we'll see that with Zeke this year. I think they'll give him some breathers with Rod Smith just because he, they are that guy. But man, you just don't want to to wear them out so much because they are so important late in games and late in the season. So, it, you know, the old school workhorse is probably gone. I think the modern day workhorse is more like what Marshall Falk used to be. Yes. Where 20, 25 touches. But we're also going to mix someone else in to do a little bit of the dirty work especially like in the middle of the game where we maybe don't need you as much so that you are fresh for those fourth quarter drives, whether it be to keep a lead or to, for those big comebacks. But I'm with you, man. I, I think there's like five or six true workhorse guys. And we'll see if, if guys like Darius guys can get to that level. Um, but I, I do prefer having that one superstar running back that you can, you know, game plan around and it takes all the pressure off the quarterback, but it's just, it's hard to find those guys. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question. But coaches love just keeping them on the field. Because it doesn't give away anything you're doing. They're just ro- reliable. It's It can definitely change the game. We've seen it for the Steelers over the years. It can completely change your game. But all right, this next one from Mike Spencer. If you, if you could go back to your first year of scouting or covering the draft and fix your biggest mistake from what year would it be? He says his would be uh, not having Calvin Pryor as a top 10 player. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I'm trying to find... I don't even remember my first year. My first year at BR would have been 2012, I guess. So, man, Trent Richardson. <laughs> I mean, that that's the one. But I really wish I could change. And I think a lot of people in the NFL would tell you the same thing. But but do you think that Trent changed as a player when he got to the NFL? Oh, without a doubt. That, that's totally what did. I'm saying. Like, I, It doesn't mean the evaluation was wrong. Yeah, it just... It changed. Yeah. I mean, he got hurt and then he gained weight and just, it, he had a lot of stuff going on off the field. The yep. one that like to be, and I've told this story before, but 2012 uh, at the combine at, well, first at the senior bowl, spent every day with Russell Wilson. Then we go to the combine and I got to go to all his like private workouts where, you know, like warming up the night before he was going to throw on the field. Uh, I, I had an in with his trainers. They were, I was, you know, 25 years old or whatever. They loved me. So it was, Hey, like come tag along. And I spent so much time with Russ that year. And I kept telling his agents, his trainers, like, man, if he were six, two, he would be my number two quarterback in the draft. And hopefully those guys still like me enough that they would vouch for me because like it, it was, it was just, he was so amazing, but he's my height. And I just kept saying that there's no way, there's no way. And so I had him ranked as a late third round pick. I want to say behind guys like Brock Osweiler and Brandon Whedon. And that's the one that, where you have that ability of hindsight to say all the signs were there that he was going to be great character, accuracy, arm strength, athleticism, football IQ, man, he had it all except for he's five ten, And that, that really shadowed my view of him. And I, I would give anything to go back and change that one. See, what's funny about yours is mine is actually the opposite of you, where when I started doing this, I bet on the outlier too much where I didn't want to listen to any old school standards and say, if a guy was a five ten quarterback and, and I, I didn't care basically is what I'm saying. If a guy was a five, nine corner, I, I didn't care. You know what I mean? Like I would just bet on the outlier all the time and almost be, it's not lazy, but being stubborn and looking to, okay, here's why these guys often don't work is mm-hmm. what it comes down to. So I think that's a problem that I, I've gotten better at is that, Listen, guys are outliers for a reason. Pick and choose your outliers wisely. 
I think Baker Mayfield was certainly one, and obviously everybody seemed to agree on that one. But you really have to pick and choose your outliers wisely, like Vernon Adams. Um, yeah. yeah, all right, you really do. <laughs> so oh, Mongaluzo, yeah, that's Mon- our boy. Mongaluzo, bring him one in. How much does a special teams unit factor into the success of a team? It seems as though those teams with great special teams units tend to be towards the top of the NFL in overall success. Think New England Patriots. I mean, yeah, and I, I think, you know, one thing, uh, I'm, I'm in Missouri, so I've, I've seen it all the way back to Dante Hall, now with Tyreek Hill. A good special teams unit can help overcome mistakes. It can give you a jolt when you need it as well. So I think it is very important. I mean, we even the Eagles last year, the Eagles were fantastic on special teams. And look how many moments they had where, where those guys were able to give them that bounce they needed. And just the fact that, you know, football games are lost by mistakes. You have a great special teams unit. You're not going to have those mistakes. You don't make them. Yeah. Think about Dallas. You know, uh, if Ryan Switzer doesn't fumble that punt return, and and if there aren't some just boneheaded plays on special teams, if they don't, you know, lose their kicker and have to use a, you know, well, they have to use a safety as a kicker, does that swing one or two games? If so, that might be a playoff team. So I, I think that's an underrated sign and. Man, we'll see how long that lasts because, you know, the kickoff might be gone at some point. Yeah, I think it's a trickle effect. I think when you do the little things right, and this isn't calling special teams a little thing because it's not, but when you do those things right, it trickles down to everywhere. And when the players that are the 45th to 53 on the roster are doing everything right, it's probably because the guys ahead of them are. And I think that's what makes it so important for a good special teams unit to be an overall good NFL team. And I'll say that's no coincidence. Something to think about, like when y'all are who are listening to this, think about, I want my team to sign this guy. And if it's a fourth or fifth receiver, they have to be able to play special teams. If it's a fourth or fifth or sixth corner, they have to play special teams. And you could say that third running back needs to play special teams. That's why guys like Darren McFadden get cut, even though, you know, it's a good athlete. He just doesn't have a role anymore. So when you think about roster construction, special teams are super important as well. Yeah, it totally matters. All right. That's a, that was a really good one from Mongoluzo. He always brings it. Uh, this one from Tyler Kincaid. If you were all in Madden, what would be your best and worst attributes? <laughs> oh, man. I, this is so easy. My best attribute would be football IQ. My worst attribute would be everything else. <laughs> everything else. Agility, speed. I think you, you know. could still tackle people. Oh, that yeah. You could yeah. still tackle people. I that would was say really all I was ever good at. So I can yeah. run fast and jump high. I would say throw power for me would be really low. And I think, I don't know if my football IQ would be very good to be honest with you. I know that takes away from the scrappy white slot <laughs> receiver, but man, I mean, we're all prone to boneheaded mistakes. I'm yeah. like just, I mean, we were just talking about Jeff Heath. So maybe that's what I'm thinking of him, but that would be me as like a Madden player. Well, we do, I would be Jeff would, Heath. Let's do mellow. Jay Cutler. Wow. That that's who he was as an actual player. So it's very easy. Did he hate s- his coaches? <laughs> no, he was he like just always thought that he was maybe smarter than, you know, like I saw him rip linemen so many times. That's great. So, uh he 100% Jay Cutler. I wonder who our new intern Walker would be. I watched that 40. It's not pretty. It wasn't pretty. But at he's least he's tall. he's tall. He is tall. And his shotgun pace was okay. Yeah, Although that's not a Madden attribute. So no. <laughs> uh, we're going to find out about his IQ. I think he's had a good start. He's played it slow and steady with his intro tweet, his application video, which was well done. We're going to see what it was we're good. Gonna, we're going to see what Walker has. It's going to be fun. We might have to bring him on and introduce him to everyone. It it's, sounds like he's going to make the road trip to Joplin for a Thursday night show. That is incredible. Good yeah. for him, man. Good yeah, for him. He, initiative for him is great. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. We had some. I mean, the applicants to hats off to everyone. I was blown. We, it wasn't easy. Like we ended up with over 100 applications and we were me, you and Mello were really discussing like over five different people were like, that could do an amazing job that we knew would do, but you know, you know, made a choice. And I think, I think Walker's going to do a really good job. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it is going to be a lot of fun. All right. Last question. You get the last one, dude. Eric Solomon. Thank you for giving me a name. I could actually read. (laughs) I do. I'm calculated with my decisions. (laughs) If you could take one college football rule and put it into the NFL, what would it be and why? Not targeting. That's for definitely damn not sure. targeting. You know what mine would be? Um, th- people are probably going to think I'm insane for this. 
I like only having one foot in bounds on a catch. Oh, that's a good one. I just think I don't. Yeah. I think if let's you, make it easier, not harder. Yes, if you catch it and one part of your body's in bounds, then you're in bounds. I don't need a second foot for what? It's just you want more points, you want more scoring, you want more offense. That's all the league does because they go, okay, dollars. It, it I've always felt everything. like like if if when you're a kid, you can get you and seven buddies and play football in the backyard, and you know the rules. It shouldn't be that hard. I was going right? to say it's so easy. If it's a catch in the backyard, it should be a catch on Saturdays or Sundays. Mine would be. I actually love college overtime, and I hate the NFL. That's a that's that's a no brainer. No college overtime is probably next to hockey as the most exciting overtime ever because it's literally at any moment it can it can break open, and I I actually like the fairness of all right. You get a shot now. We get a shot. Let's see what we can do. I just think it's efficient when it comes down to it. Yeah. The NFLs is oftentimes determined by what? A coin toss? I mean. Yeah. And one of the great things is that when it ends up like fourth and 15 and you have to score to keep the game going. Or then, or when somebody goes for two and they just, you know, just big balls it. And hey, yeah. we're going for two. Watch that. Yeah. Stop us. Yeah. We, we want to end this now. Our offense is good enough. I, and, and it's also cool because they have so many prepackaged two point conversion concepts. Yeah, and I think that trickles. Remember Boise down to State, coaching. Oklahoma. Who could forget it? I mean, that's that, the most famous. And as a Texas fan, I loved that game because oh, of course you just did. watching Oklahoma but get that smacked was in like, the mouth. That was really like a breakout moment for. I'm not going to call Boise State a small school, but it was like it felt David versus Goliath kind of really ish did. because of how prominent Oklahoma's program was in comparison at the time. To Boise State. Now, Boise State's turned out players over the years. It's just the overall point. Man, that's... I mean, I think a lot of people agree with both of those things. What well, Those are simple rule changes that simplify the game. The NFL can't stay out of its own way. In so many ways, that's and that, true. And that's why so many people are like, well, I enjoy the college game better. They don't get as attached to the personalities, I think, although in this recent era in social media and, and the, you know, overanalyzing everything, we do get attached to college players more so now, but the overall product, while it's not as an efficient, cleaner product in terms of the way offenses and defenses are run, it's just a more enjoyable, I think, watch for a viewer. Yeah, I'm with you, dude. All right, man, that's our show. Thanks, everybody, for contributing with the, the horror stories on iTunes. Thanks for your draft on draft questions. And don't forget, we want to know what you would do with the Stanley Cup. You get that sucker for 24 hours. What are you going to do with it? You can leave that in this week's iTunes review. We'll try to read some of them on the Friday morning show when it comes out. And thanks again to Jim Nagy. Thanks to our buddy Adam Heisler for hooking us up with that. Jim is going to do, I think, great things with the Senior Bowl. I think so, too. I think he has a really good vision for the future of it. And I cannot wait to get back back down there. Um, I need to let my liver rest before we do that. But got time. next January is going to be a blast. Uh, so thanks again to Jim and all the people down at the Senior Bowl for giving us some time. For Connor, this is Matt. We'll talk to you guys again Friday morning.